I've listened to the Blue Album by Weezer for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It. Happy New Year. It's 2022. It's the record-ranking podcast for people who'd rather be listening to music. I'm James. With me is Connor. New Year, new podcast. This is the first episode officially in 2022. Yeah, but same podcast. New Year, same... No, we're we're, 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 the, we're Spin It, the podcast about washing machines. I don't... I don't want to do a podcast about washing machines. Today we're here, you know, our first segment on Spin It, the washing machine podcast, The Spin Cycle. But what we're really talking about today is Weezer's debut album. It's called Weezer, but since the cover is blue and they have five other albums called Weezer, you know, this is the blue album, colloquially. What other colors do they have? Well, there's blue, red, green, white, black, teal. Why didn't we do the teal one? The teal album's a cover album, and it's newer. Well, blue is like the closest to teal blue or green i don't know if you know this but i'm actually a weezer myself as someone with asthma it happens from time to time that's how they got their name you you really you know that right yeah because that was what like in middle school he was called they called him weezer (laughs) yeah yeah that's right he dropped the h and you know that made it seem cooler well weezer formed in los angeles in 1992 and they have been active to this day. They even put out two albums in 2021. Impressive. In 1994, way back when they were starting out, when this album came out, the band consisted of Rivers Cuomo, who sings and plays the guitar and the keyboard, and he does a lot of the songwriting. Patrick, or Pat Wilson, he was the drummer. Matt Sharp played the bass, and Jason Cropper played the guitar, but he was replaced during the album's production, and Brian Bell took his spot in the days after this. So that's Weezer. That's what you need to know. Whenever you give the rundown like that and you just start naming off who plays what instruments, I always think of Under the Sea. When you get to like Newt play the flute and Carp play the harp, <laughs> like that's that's yeah. always what I think of. Pat plays the drums and Sharp plays the bass. So I start like singing what you're saying along to that tune in my head every time you do it. I mean, whatever helps you remember it, I guess. I don't remember it is the problem. Fair enough. <laughs> you should at least remember Rivers Cuomo. He's a very important figure obviously is the singer and songwriter for weezer i didn't know that's how his name was pronounced i was guessing his last name until you said it it's pronounced just like it's spelled weezer has been nominated for four grammys and they won once the best music video for pork and beans in 2009 which color is that one on that's from the red album they don't they don't have a brown one no no they don't have a brown album yet but who's to say i mean it could be coming maybe people who don't like weezer say all of their albums are the brown albums because they're they're poo poo. I mean, maybe, but they're they're not that bad. I understand that Weezer's a little bit of a of a meme band sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think you know they've got some highs and some lows, just like every band out there. What color would our album like when when I would drop my Hippin' and Hoppin' album? What color will it be? I don't know. Spin it gold. It'll be the brown album. <laughs> yeah, the- you're right. That that'll be the real brown <laughs> album. Weezer's 2019 cover of Toto's Africa. You know, bless the rains down in Africa. It earned two iHeartRadio Music Award nominations, and then in 1990. 
1995 alone, Buddy Holly, a song from this record, won four MTV Music Video Awards and was nominated for Video of the Year. I was so very confused. Yeah, I don't know if you got around to watching that music video. Uh, no, I didn't watch the music video, unfortunately. But I read through this, like, rundown that you always have, you know, for us to see what we're going to talk about in this section, um, before I listened to the album. And so the way you phrased it, and then you're just like, and then Buddy Holly won this. And so I didn't realize Buddy Holly was a child. I was like, what? Why, where is, why is this in here about Weezer? <laughs> yeah, Buddy Holly the song, not Buddy Holly the, you know, day the music died. Not the 1950s rocker. I was very confused until I saw the actual track list. Yeah, that should clear things up. Well, as for the Blue Album... Like I said, it's the first of six self-titled albums. And, I mean, they have other albums, too, but there are six that are called Weezer. It is the band's official debut album, although they did release some demos that they called The Kitchen Tape a few years prior, and some of those songs are actually on the Blue Album. But they signed with Geffen Records in 1993, and that is what brought them to the Blue Album. It's pretty alternative rock, kind of like pop punk of sorts. It feels a little too light to be emo to me, but some people would call it that. You know, it's been classified as geek rock, which is kind of a a thing that's defined Weezer. I like that geek rock. Yeah. Especially for, yeah, for a band named Weezer, named after a a middle school bully name. Yeah, exactly. Geek rock kind of makes sense. And it really shines through on a couple different tracks. But the other person we need to talk about when we talk about Weezer's debut album is Rick Ocasek, right? He is a member of The Cars. Do you know the band The Cars? Since you're gone, you might think just what I needed. I was trying to think of a clever car pun, but I couldn't come up with one. So no, I'll just say no. No. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Well, he had a lot of success in that band, of course, but then he also released seven solo albums and he was a great record producer so weezer was initially going to self-produce this blue album but the label went maybe don't and so they connected the band with rick and so he was a huge influence on this project he even talked rivers into including songs like buddy holly on the album because he wanted to cut it he didn't like it at all and you know he had a lot of self-confidence issues with his songwriting abilities early on but rick really pushed them to make this album what it is so he was a huge influence on the blue album and he also worked on two of the band's other albums the green album from 2001 and everything will be all right in the end in 2014 so shout out rick okasic that's cool it is really cool i know what a mentor to have he really just drove up to that band and helped them out yeah okay and then sped away i don't think it's working as well as you think it is i know it's not working well so that's that's concerning just hit the brakes (laughs) hit the brakes on the cars jokes when's owen wilson gonna show up wow i can do movie references i can't do other references that's all i got fair enough i guess that makes it officially time to start round two of factor spin yeah let's See if we can bring home another dub for the hosts. Yeah, I guess the first one of, of round two. I don't know how we're doing the scoring or anything. The mixtapers just changed the rules, so we'll just go with it. But I'm ready to give it a try, so bring them on in. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper, here for round two a Factor Spin. Year two, round two, all right? Two-two. 22. It all it, it all makes sense. Uh, yeah, you're just saying the number two a lot of times. I don't know. I don't know if that's like an attempt to confuse me or what. It's a little messaging, you know, that way on fact number two, that's going to be the one that gets you because of my subliminal tune messaging. It may be. I don't know. How was your new year? Welcome to 2022. It's great. It was a great New Year's. Uh, I went to Times Square to watch the ball drop. Oh, you were there? I think I saw you in a Planet Fitness hat. Uh, those Planet Fitness hats were my idea, you know. 
I suggested that to them. They're pretty evil. Pretty, pretty evil to target all their marketing right around New Year's resolution. But yeah, what's more evil than taking advantage of all the New Year's resolutions and the giant crowds by having these really cool-looking hats that pretty evil just advertise a gym? A little subliminal fat shaming from Planet Fitness every year. Yeah, you love to see it. The mixtape doesn't like anything more than being evil and playing Factor Spin. Of course, right. of course. But like number three on the list would be. Subliminal marketing, you know, measures from businesses. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> what a list. What a what a number two. It goes being evil, factor spin, and... Marketing. Marketing tactics. Your passions. <laughs> and I think we've given that enough uh, enough airtime, so let's, let's just get into the first fact. Tell me about Weezer. All right, the first fact of season two. I thought it was round two. I don't know. It's the season. It's around. Round two, season two, year two. It's all twos. Two, 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 2022. Well, you know, we talked about how Weezer's like... The the geek rock and, you know, their names after being, you know, a high school bully nickname that was given to their founder, you know, all that. Yeah. And then you also mentioned their uh, Africa cover. I did, yes. Did you know that they were cyber bullied into making that? Oh, I kind of remember this. Yeah, um, I feel like somebody challenged them, right? Somebody challenged them on the internet and, and then everyone got behind it. I don't remember why, but I remember it was a big deal when it came out because they, they acquiesced to the challenge. I don't know, tell me more. You're, you're, you're close. You're close to what I'm, I'm saying to you. Uh, a 14-year-old girl cyberbullied them by making a Twitter account called at Weezer Africa, in which they were purely dedicated to repeatedly asking Weezer to cover the song until they did. How long did she have to ask? The uh, initial tweet, I believe, was in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then the song came out, what, 2019? Yeah, that's when the Teal album dropped, and that's their cover album. But what was really funny was, you know, Weezer kind of tricked her. Because they also did a uh, Toto's other really popular song. Um, yes, did they? Oh, I forget which one it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember off the top of my head either. But they, uh, you know, released that one out to the public. They're like, hey, here we go. And, you know, then the At Weezer Africa, I was like, no, you did the wrong one. And then, like, two days later, they dropped the Africa one as well. It was like, aha. Which is pretty genius. Honestly, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a band with such a healthy sense of humor like Weezer had. And it's taken them a while to grow into it, but they've always had that kind of tongue-in-cheek energy to them. The band has said that they are really inspired by what the 14-year-old did because, you know, after as they were posting, fans started rallying behind it and retweeting and mass, you know, just blasting the band with requests to do it. And they said it showed how a fan base can come together to actually truly influence a band. I mean, that's true. It did. Yeah, it, it really did get them going. Yeah, I... Uh, you know, 2017 was right about when I listened to my first Weezer album, which was Pacific Daydream. And I mean, I knew some of the other singles and stuff, but Pacific Daydream was my entry point. So I kind of had my ear to the ground right around then. And I was pretty, pretty in on this. I'm going to lock in that this is true I, without much reservation. I really think that's true. Yeah, yeah, this one's true. This uh, I wanted to get this one out of the way. This was the one of the four that I was like, mo- you were most likely to know because it happened all over Twitter and it was pretty big movement. Yeah. I thought I'd get it out of the way. Way. But for those of you 
in the audience, you might not have known that, so now you do. Well, there you go. See, they were cyberbullied into it, and then... Lit cyberbullied them into doing, like, being a guest artist on the Hippin' and Hoppin' album. If they'll do it. And all you Spin It fans, go out there and start tweeting at Weezer, saying you want them to guest star on Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album. See, that was a fan suggestion that won them, like, MTV Music Awards. They won a couple different nominations for that, so hats off to them. All right, now... Fact number two. This is the one to be worried about. Round two, fact two, 2022, season two, year two. I don't know why I put so much hype up on this. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, maybe you've oversold it already. The band's fir- debut performance was for a celebrity. Okay, okay. I, I do know that the band at one point opened for a band that Keanu Reeves was in. Is that the celebrity? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Okay, now I don't know that that's their debut performance and I don't know much about the circumstances. Was Keanu a celebrity at the time? I mean, surely he was. Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure and stuff. All the Keanu movies had been coming out before whenever Weezer would have been starting up. Yeah, yeah, he'd been in some things. I don't know if he, he would, I guess you could say he was, I guess, famous right right you know he's established as a celebrity he started his work you know in like the early 80s so he was like around so how did they get signed on to be an opener for this debut like what was the connection yes uh he knew matt sharp keanu reeves knew matt sharp yep how? How did they meet? They grew up in the same hometown. Which hometown is that? It would have been a great thing to write down. You you do that a lot, you know. Some of the most incriminating questions never get answers. Listen, I on the article just said they were from the whole, same hometown. I didn't bother to go find which one it was called. Well, it makes sense, though, because... Keanu Reeves is a California type and Weezer is a California band. Yeah. It's a little more believable than Columbus, Ohio's Gary LaVox rooming with Jamie Foxx from Texas, which was true. So, Well, they didn't room together either. So, you know, they just they grew up in the same hometown. So they were like familiar with one another. And so since they both had up and coming bands, I guess Keanu's was a little more established, you know, but they, they got hooked up together. It was their very first debut performance. They performed at Raj's Bar in Central Hollywood. It was five weeks weeks after they uh, officially formed as a band. Oh, that's soon. That's very soon. What was the crowd like? Was it a big venue or I mean I mean it's a it's a Hollywood bar, right? So it's it's reasonably sized. Okay. I'm going to say that this one's true. I obviously, I mean I I called Keanu Reeves, so I know a little bit about this. The debut performance thing has maybe got me stuck, but I think this is true. This is a spin. Wait, this is a spin? Oh, no. Yep. Okay, what's the spin? The spin is that Keanu Reeves and uh, and Matt Sharp do not know one another. That was uh, they it? They did it beforehand. That was it. They, it was their debut act. It was five weeks. They just can't, I have no idea. I couldn't find an article that said why or how they got hooked up. I think it was just coincidence. I think they needed an opening act, and they found, and Weezer was like, we'll do it. And they were like, okay. I think it was kind of just a thing. I'm, I kind of feel like I should contest that because the fact was the band's debut performance was opening for a celebrity and that was a fact yeah but the details surrounding it were lies you know that that's how the mixtaper works the mixtaper has a nice flashy title and then the title almost never is what it appears it's gonna be that's just how the game works hmm. think back on some of the other facts i was like this thing happened and then you were like really and i was like no but this other s- slightly less cool sounding thing happened all right whatever all right, you... You know how I am. Dastardly. All right, you dastard. <laughs>
honestly is what is dastardly like what is that as an adjective is it like a dastard because what's that anyway uh dastardly is like wicked or cruel no i understand what it means but but the lee would imply that you are imitating a dastard or whatever you're acting in the manner of a dastard uh yeah a dastard is a dishonorable or despicable person oh my gosh who knew i think that describes me perfectly that's enough etymology let's play the game during the filming of the music video for undone which is on this album the sweater song yeah yes have you seen that video i actually haven't or at least not for a long time well let's just say during that uh there was a famous dog that pooped on the bass drum pedal (laughs) a famous dog that pooped on the bass drum pedal okay yep who was the famous dog it was the dog that would go on to be the dog of the little pug in men in black Oh, interesting. So the dog wasn't famous at the time. No. Why was the dog there? Tell me about this music video that I guess I haven't seen. About two and a half to three minutes into the song slash music video, a bunch of dogs just go running across the stage while they're playing. Mm-hmm. And in between takes, one of the dogs had to had to use the potty and did it on the bass drum pedal. I mean, what a, what a place. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they saw it and, you know, Pat Wilson didn't just like smush it all around. <laughs> Uh, I have no evidence one way or the other, so in my brain, he absolutely didn't see it. Mm. (laughs) This is a gross fact. I don't know. Why does it have to be a famous dog? Why does it have to be a famous dog? I don't think it has to be. I think it just is. I think you're just sensationalizing this this spin. I think this is a lie, and you're just trying to make it a little more over the top so that I would believe it more because you'd never be able to make it up. I think this is a spin. It is a spin! Ah, Darn! How spun. But you see, a dog in the music video did poop on the drum pedal. It's just not the dog that would go on to be the pug in Men in Black. That's the part I made up. You took it too far. So... I did. A random dog really did poop on the drums. Yeah. That's crappy. I had a whole thing I was gonna... I had a whole thing where I was going to tell you about how, like, you know, they, you know, just a bunch of dogs that were being trained to, you know, work in film and stuff or what they used because they want to have them around loud music and get them practice, like, following commands on camera. Well, that would make good sense. And I had all this stuff and you just jumped right to spin. I did just jump right to spin. I didn't get any chance to convince you. Nope, you did not. Well... I got one more for you. Classic four. Classic four. Maybe a new season, but same classic four facts and spins. Okay, yeah. New Year's same factor spin. Rivers has an interesting hobby. I'm sure he does. Fact. <laughs> what is his particular interesting hobby? Pigeon racing. P- okay, wow. Pigeon racing? <laughs> Save the best for last. (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. How did he get started in that? I don't know. Didn't actually say how he got into it, just that he's been doing it for a a while now. When did he start? He started in 2005. Yeah, peak pigeon time. Apparently. Okay, so so how does a pigeon race work? I mean, is there a thing they have to fly to in return? I mean, is there a course that they have to run? Lucky for you, uh, you know, I had a lot of these same questions when I first saw this fact, and so I I went to pigeon.org which is the American Racing Pigeon Union. <laughs> there's a there's a pigeon.org that's for like 
organized pigeon racing. Yeah, this is an organized thing. You know, so they have a bunch of information about how if you want to get started. You know, they apparently have over 700 affiliated clubs around the country. It's real. Yes, it's real. Uh, did you just look at the website? I did. I just went to the website, yes. Uh, and luckily, I've gone to the request more information tab and put in our spinning email. So we should be getting some information here soon about uh, how to get into pigeon racing you know, that could be the next big spinning hobby yeah sure sure and so it seems like uh, and so i was when you first pull up their website there's a little order form link that says 2023 band order form and i was really excited I was like they have a band and then i realized they're talking about banding the pigeons like with the little leg band no yeah just <laughs> you can't order you can't order a music band from the pigeon racing board <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was a little confused at first, right? And then there's like a report of bird, and I want to know what that's all about. <laughs> like, can it, is that like tattling on a bird? Like, this bird's doing steroids. No, you report a bird that's lost. Okay, if, if it's... Not a very good homing pigeon if it gets lost. You're right. Well, it's a... Yeah, it's an away from homing pigeon then. Uh, he has... Over 10 birds that he maintains and keeps care of and races. That was my next question was, does he have pigeons and how many? Over 10. Yeah. You say. So like 11. Uh, at least. I don't know. That's just what the article said. It said over, it said, he said over 10. How frequently does he attend pigeon races? Like how often do they happen? Is there a season? I assume there's a season. Like that feels like a seasonal thing, right? Yeah. Well, they're, they're birds. You know, the air is there all the time. Yeah. All the stuff on the website is still 2021 dates. I don't know what the event, I, I'm hoping it's in the more info packet that we get. It's like here on uh, September 25th of 2021, there was the Fly Clover RPC 200 mile youth race for kids only. There's a Hall of Fame. Okay, I got to stop digging into this because there, this is too deep. We could dig too far into this. I know, and we will offline. We'll come back with a whole book report next next episode about pigeon racing. I guess so. Yeah. Well, for now, this that's come on. Would he do this? <laughs> I don't know. Would he? I have no idea. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a fact because I don't think you would have known this existed if you didn't see it somewhere. Going with fact. I guess. This is a spin. No, man. <laughs> oh no. I had no idea this existed until somebody told me the other day that Mike Tyson oh, yeah, is well, a pigeon racer. Everybody knows Mike Tyson loves pigeons. Yeah, he races them. Somebody was t somebody was telling me that he actually races them. And so that's when I was like, I was like, really? There's like, that's a thing? And so then they showed me the pigeon.org and I was like, I couldn't get it out of my head. So I was like, I'm going to steal that. Yep, yep. Yeah, Mike Tyson's a big pigeon guy. I guess Rivers Cuomo is not. Didn't know you could race pigeons. Didn't know that was a thing. And that there was over 700 clubs countrywide. Now we know. I'm really looking forward to getting that uh, packet of information from pigeons.org. Right. I guess that puts us at 50-50 again, doesn't it? All right. Uh, new season. Same old score. 50-50. I was... You, you knew more about Weezer than, than I thought you would. It's true. I, I know a little bit. But thanks for showing back up in 2022. Have a great uh, next week, I guess, until we see you again. Auld Lang Syne and all of that. Whatever, you know, Happy New Year stuff you got going on. Wait, what's your, uh, before I go, what was your New Year's resolution? To win round two of Factor Spin. What a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're at odds once again. <laughs> Go be free like a racing pigeon now, and, and we'll see you next week. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, all right. Round two's off to a, you know, two and two start. I should have expected nothing less. Welcome back, Connor. He, he was right all along. It's a two, two to two, 2022, round two, year two, season two, two.
Yeah, yeah, all that. Let's talk about the album art on the Blue Album. Do we have to? I mean, there's not a ton to talk about. It's the band in front of a blue background. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to note is that Peter Gowland... Wait, wait, wait. Which one is Peter Gowland in this picture? He's not in the picture. He's behind the camera. Oh, awkward. If you would let me finish my sentence... I would have said that he is a famous glamour photographer who's had a lot of magazine covers and other like stuff he's photographed, and he took this picture of the band. Remember when I said I don't remember your whole monologue at the beginning, even though I sing along to it? Yeah, that's pretty clear now. <laughs> What's interesting about the cover, though, is that they had to Photoshop it because Matt Sharp didn't like the way that his head looked. Okay, now which one's Matt Sharp? Maybe I should guess. Yeah, you should guess. Which one of these looks like they have a fake head? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Matt Sharp didn't like the way his head looked, so they photoshopped his head on from a different shot. I don't know which one. <laughs> they, they all This kind of just looks like a fake photo. It is... It is a little, like, uncanny for some reason, and I can't put my finger on it. I never have been able to. Maybe it's the lack of shadow. There's no shadows behind them or anywhere, right, to give you any sort of, like, depth. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, the, the absence of shadow. Matt Sharp, by the way, if you're giving up, he's the one in the striped shirt, the third one from the left. In the pink? Yeah, the second one from the right. In the pink? Still, yes. Just want to make sure it was still the guy in the pink. Yeah, it's still the one. <laughs> Interesting. They, that, that wasn't the one I would have gone with. I would have gone with the far left. His head looks a little like skew-whiff. That's Pat Wilson. And yeah, he is. He's there. Like his head looks cocked to the left a little bit in an unnatural way. Let's get into the songs. Do you know much Weezer? I didn't ask earlier. How much Weezer are you familiar with? You're shaking your head no. <laughs> Which is yes, great for was... the audio podcast. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard Weezer songs. They're popular enough. Mm -hmm. I don't really know any of their music. I just know of the, like, you know, kind of people. They're, like you said, they're kind of a meme band, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. And so I know that reputation. Well, that's fun. It's, you know, we haven't done an album that you know nothing about in a while. It's true. It's true. And the Blue Album kicks right in with My Name is Jonas, which is like a medium big Weezer hit. As far as songs that people would know go, My Name is Jonas might be on the list. One of the things that they started with right away from track one is that they have all these, you know, unique practices or ideas for their recording that are pretty cool, I think. And they contribute to their really unique sound one of those things that's big on this record that they tried to adhere to was to only play downstrokes on the guitar and that's why everything kind of feels so heavy-handed what's it's what's the sound difference like i guess I, I, for us non-guitar guys the sound difference is like slight but it's there enough that you'd notice it because when you strum a guitar oh from no we will be getting our arpu membership request information in the mail within the next 15 days, days. <laughs> it's not electronic information it's by actual mail. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe it's coming by pigeon. Pigeon. If they, send, if they send a pigeon with information about pigeon racing. Anyway. Anyway. The difference is that when you're playing downstrokes on a guitar, right? You're strumming from the sixth string to the one string. You're going from lower to higher. So everything's kind of going to start low and high and be really like, just, you can really like force it. Okay. Yeah. You're going to hit the lower strings first. Right. And you know, if you strum up, it's a little softer, a little gentler because it's way easier to pound your fist down up and, you know, like strum a guitar really hard with downstrokes. It's easier than it is to come up all the time. Interesting. Yeah. But that's part of what makes this album so punchy, I guess. And you know how we had all those really intricate rhythms last week on Rumors? Well, Weezer decided that they wanted to treat the 
guitar and the bass like a single 10-stringed instrument, kind of make them play in sync. So they're very much on the same wavelength throughout this record, and you won't see a ton of instances where the bass goes off and does its own thing, the opposite of all the rhythmic intricacies we had with Fleetwood Mac. But, you know, that's stuff you can kind of pick out on My Name is Jonas and Beyond. This song is about Rivers Cuomo's brother, whose name is Leaves. Leaves, like on a tree? Yeah, like on a tree. Nowadays, he goes by Jimmy. He doesn't go by Jonas? No, his name is not Jonas, ironically. But Rivers' brother is mentioned in this song and Say It Ain't So, plus a few others from other albums. So he had a really, you know, close relationship with his brother. The inspiration came when his brother was talking about a car accident that he had been in while in college. And he was talking to Rivers about trying to figure out insurance and the whole mess that it was causing. So that's kind of the background. People also think that it might be a reference to the book The Giver, whose protagonist is named Jonas. I've heard that because something about it, there's like a line in here somewhere, I guess or something is the name of like a sled. Yeah, yeah. In the second verse, he says, my name is Wepiel, Weepiel, which is River's childhood sled. That's what he named his sled. And in the giver, Jonas rides down the sled to get past the barrier that gives everybody all their feelings and emotions back, I guess. I never read the book. I watched the movie. It was a while ago. Oh, and that explains why your explanation of it was the way it was. <laughs> yeah, the sled is a really prominent symbol in The Giver. So that's another reason people draw that comparison. The other fun thing about this song is that the character, Jonas, was meant to be the main character in a Weezer rock opera. But they scrapped that before their second album, Pinkerton, came out. Would have made this song a lot cooler. I guess it would have, yeah, if it was actually about a character named Jonas. Well, it still is, but like he's he doesn't have a whole story arc to go with it. This one gets Connor top three. Oh, Right off the bat, wow. Yeah, I'm gonna say this up front and take any backlash or questions that I may receive. I felt like this album was remarkably unremarkable. Mm, that is probably the most Weezer thing anyone's ever said about this album, right? <laughs> I mean, that that feels like, I'm, like, I'm kind of like, well, no, but then I was like, eh, yeah, but no. Every song is like fundamentally, the fundamentals are there in terms of like what you'd expect to hear. And like you said, like the pieces fit but it's not it's like is that the puzzle i want to be putting together yes yeah that's a great way to put it and so i had that with just about every single one of these songs and so picking a top three it was kind of like well have your pick of the litter you know it's like they're all remarkably unremarkable in different ways so there's no right or wrong answer i guess to what your favorite is that's a good point except for one my favorite one Uh uh-huh okay maybe part of it was the heavy-handedness the way they perform it like the the tone of the music you're hearing is off because of how they chose to produce it in a way that they wanted it i guess is how they wanted it but for me it just put this weird it it, it was just weird listening to it especially on the first time through i mean i get that it's not it's not one that you can necessarily just dive right into first try yeah i really like all the different levels of my name is jonas right it starts off with this little arpeggiated guitar yeah and i like that And then all of a sudden it gets really, you know, like it gets really heavy. And I like that. And then we get the guess what I received. Like we have all these different segments, right? Like you said, it's like putting together a puzzle. And then the puzzle you finish is the song My Name is Jonas. And you're like, and you're like, huh, what have I gained from this? It's like you're putting together a puzzle. You're like, oh, this piece looks really cool. And oh, look look at this little section of the puzzle. It really came out cool. And then you like stand back and look at the whole picture. And you're like, oh, this is what I just had. Yeah, it's very interesting. Listen, we're reading way too much into this in a way that no one else would it's true that's why you're here audience and if it's not i'm sorry 
let's talk about track two, No One Else. Uh, I totally missed what you tried to do a second ago, didn't I? Yeah, that means it was good. Oh, I missed it. That means it was better. But No One Else is their first satirical song, right? Like we said, Weezer sometimes is this tongue-in-cheek band that's like, sometimes they, they do it to be funny, and then sometimes they do it to be serious, but people interpret it as tongue-in-cheek, and, and, you know, people aren't always sure how to take a Weezer song. But No One Else is a satirical song, kind of set up as a prequel to The World Is Turned and Left Me Here. According to their drummer, Pat Wilson, he said that it was an unusual song at the time because it was up-tempo. I remember instantly hating it, probably because I had nothing to do with any of it. Matt just seemed to have it fully formed. It took me two-thirds of the song to really understand what was even happening with the lyrics. Really? And by then it was too late to go. Uh, it just started, I got just, I don't know, this song felt very 90s to me in terms of the message it was giving until about two-thirds of the way through when I realized, I'm like, oh, I think this is supposed to be ironic or satirical. Yes. And But by then it was too late to go back and reprocess. Like, it's like, man, they're really crapping all over this girl. <laughs> I was like, man. Right, like she's a kick drum pedal and they're a pug. Yeah. The, the, the verses, the lyrics are spoken by this satirical, this hypothetical jerk guy, right? My girl's got a big mouth. She blabbers. She laughs at everything, even if it's not funny. And if you see her, tell her it's over. Because I want a girl who is like all mine, who I have this ridiculous degree of control over. And so I was listening to that chorus and I was like, this is some really interesting values. Like, this feels 90s-y. <laughs> the satirical sexism feels very 90s to me, yes. Just the sexism part. I didn't realize it was satirical at the time. Right. And so I was like, uh, was like I want a girl who will laugh for no one else that can't leave the house when I'm away. I was like, this feels wrong. Why am I listening to this? And then... Like you said, it clicked, and I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's. I mean, it's a pretty brutal song. I mean, they kind of hit the nail on the head from a controlling, in an abusive way, relationship standpoint, right? Please don't believe her. She says that for anyone, right? Like, they're really leaning into it. My favorite line in the song is that moment where he goes, my girl's got eyeballs, and then there's a big pause, <laughs> and then he goes, in the back of her head, because it always throws me off. I was like, well, cool. She's got eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but that, like, pull the rug out from under me, I guess, maybe I'm giving the song more credit than it deserves, maybe I was just dumb, but because it did that to me, I'm giving a honorable mention. Oh, okay, because it, cause it fleeced you a little bit. Yeah. I like it, I like it. Again, I might be giving the song more credit than it deserves because I just didn't realize what was happening, but... I mean, to its credit, it's also pretty darn catchy. It's one of the more sing-alongable songs on the record. It is. But yeah, it still has that, like... When you get to the end of the song, you're like, okay, I don't hate that I listen to that, but do I really care to listen to it again? <laughs> I, th I think once was enough. <laughs> Sure. I kind of like how in this song we really get a glimpse of Rivers yell singing, which he does a couple other times, but sometimes he'll get really into it. Uh -huh. And especially on some of those tell her it's over now, like he really goes, really goes for it. And it's just a cool, unique, like very uh, Weezer thumbprint that's on a lot of these songs. They have said that if they released a song like this today, it probably would not be given the time of day. Just because people probably wouldn't take the time to dig into the satire of it and realize that they're not jerks. Yeah, it was hidden in there. And unless you actually stopped and paid attention to what you were listening to and like kind of like dissected it a bit, it just sounded like people singing about wanting it. It sounded like, like, a, like a 90s love song singing about how you want the perfect girl, but the perfect girl is just a bunch of sexist traits. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you consider it a prequel to The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, and like you go into that song thinking it's the same speaker, hopefully that sheds a little light on the situation because the jerky guy really kind of gets his comeuppance here as the world turns and everybody ditches him because he's a butt. 
I guess The World Is Turned is really one of your, like, two ballad songs on the record. Yes. Yes, it is. This song has not very many Spotify plays, which was a bit surprising. I mean, I get it, because this is another one that has a lot of interesting sections that fit together well, but, like, differently. It started out so well. The chorus is very strong. The, the opening instrumentals and the chorus are great, but then you get into the verses, you know, and some of the other sections... I didn't really care for the guitar solo, actually. The big one at the end. Yeah, yeah, towards the end. Not the very end. There's one towards the middle third as well. Yeah, yeah. Right before another, you remain turned away. Sure. It just started out really well, and I I just really liked that beginning, and then again, it fell off. Yeah. Musically, it's kind of a mixed bag. Lyrically, lyrically, I don't know how to feel about it, because it makes you feel a little bit sad for this jerky guy, even if it's only in in a pity kind of way, right? Because, I mean, he says, oh, I talked for hours to your wallet photograph you just listened or maybe you didn't or you know everyone's turned away from me I'm, I'm stuck on my own and this is just an empty space has filled the void behind my face like you almost have to pity him even though we know kind of what his true colors are is it meant to be a like follow-up to the jerky guy again off of one listen i didn't really get that that's the popular opinion i feel like if that's the case i like the song even less because like i didn't feel any sympathy for i wouldn't feel any sympathy for him if, if that was the case I thought this was just some sad sap who was sad that he was all alone was singing about. Like, someone who was all alone and was sad. I didn't really pick up on the idea that maybe this could be a jerk who's playing the woe is me game. Yeah, uh, it could be that. I don't know. Like I said, I don't think I've seen the band officially talk about it, but that seems to be the popular belief. And to order them on the album this way, with one being two and three, it just kind of feels like the speaker bleeds over. Fair enough. Well, especially since, I mean, kind of as an audience, what we almost want for the jerk in... No one else is that the world turns and leaves him so i mean in that sense we kind of get justice i guess i don't know it's an interesting track yeah but we run right out of that into i mean like weezer's juggernaut track buddy holly connor top three as it should be and the num- my number one pick this is the song that when i teased earlier that my number one pick kind of stood out above the rest yeah it's this one this would be the like diamond in the rough of this puzzle that is the Blue Album. Oh, I mean, definitely true. I think Buddy Holly has to be considered, uh, like, the best song on this album, whether you love the album or not. So then you're agreeing with me that this is the best, like, this is your favorite? Oh, yeah. I think I think that's pretty pretty easy. I like it better when we disagree, because it makes it easy to pick which two go on the playlist. That's true. Now we gotta decide what our second runner-up is now, because we agreed on the first one. Yeah. This song was released as one of the singles from the album, and it came out on September 7th, 1994, which was Buddy Holly's birthday, or would have been. Oh. It hit number 17 on the U.S. pop charts, and in 2011, Rolling Stone called it one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. All time, all songs, top 500. Interesting. It is, isn't it? And like I said before, Rivers didn't even want to put it on the record. Which is crazy. I know, he was pretty insecure about his songwriting abilities and stuff, and I mean, I can understand that, but like, this is a good song, and I don't know how he didn't see it, but sometimes you get too close to the thing that you create, and you're not able to look at it objectively, but Rick Ocasek, like I said, he said they'd be stupid to leave it off the album so they forced it in there this is the closest we've gotten in a while to an oh well <laughs> it's true and that is so catchy that chorus i i take it back what i said earlier about no one else this is the most sing-alongable song yeah it's very good it sure is and the music video was filmed by 
Spike Jones, the famous director, and it features the band playing in Arnold's Diner from the show Happy Days. They mix it with actual footage from the show. It was like a revolutionary technique. It was really groundbreaking, which is why this song won so many MTV Video Awards. It's got more than 60 million views on YouTube. I'll have to go, I'll have to go add one more view to that. Yeah, go add 60 million in one. Let me update the total. <laughs> According to Pat Wilson, it's a tightly written song. He says there's no fat on it at all. It starts at 10 and goes up from there, which I think pretty much hits the nail on the head. Yeah. It's funny because Rivers Cuomo really does look like Buddy Holly, or at least he did at one point in his life. More than everybody else looks like Buddy Holly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, and I like the bridge on this one. I've been critical of the bridges on most of the songs here, but I like the bridge on this one. Yeah, it's a good one. Bang, bang, knock on the door. Knock on the door. And... I can't run and I can't kick. Yeah, Yeah, it's all good. I love the lead out on the bridge. It's one of my favorite moments on the whole record where everything stops except for the guitar and they do the little do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do just by itself. Like, what a moment. It feels like that sort of thing is what the rest of this record's been missing. And it goes away. It does. It's it's fleeting. It's very short and then it's gone. (laughs) They found it and then it's gone. (laughs) I do think this is an interesting album because I think the middle of it is the strongest bit of it. This stretch here from Buddy Holly to Say It Ain't So is probably where this album shines the most, which is unusual. I know we've had some strong starters and some strong closers. This is the first one that does its best work, you know, in the middle innings. Because the next song is Undone, the sweater song. That's the first single off the record. It, okay. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was the first song Rivers ever wrote. Really? For for Weezer. For Weezer, anyway. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. He says he wrote it in 1991, and he says, I was trying to write a Velvet Underground type song because I was super into them and I came up with the guitar riff. I just picked up the acoustic guitar and the first thing I played was that riff. He says that when they start to play it, it just takes over the energy in the room and you're transported into the world of Weezer, which... I think is about right. I think the sweater song is like a peek at Weezer's DNA. It just didn't do it for me. It didn't? Here's the issue. I'm going to take you back to the days of Machine Gun Kelly and how I didn't care for all of his spoken stuff that he would throw in on his songs. Okay. And I have the same issue here. I really like that guitar uh, riff that's happening, you know, on loop over it. It's so dissonant, yeah. And I like it, but I didn't, I wanted there to be actual singing there, not just like background noise people talking. Well, you get there eventually. Yeah. But then they bring back the, the, you get there, you finally get a little verse and chorus, and then they go right back into talking again. No, stop it. I mean, yeah, a little bit, slightly, slightly, fair. Uh, It just, it ruined the vibe of the song for me. Yeah, this is one of those instances, this is a song that Rivers meant to be really sincere and emotional, a real heavy hitter of a, like, depression ballad that he was trying to write, and then people didn't take it seriously, and they were like, oh, ha, 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 undone sweater, funny stuff. Like, he couldn't get people to give him the time of day. He actually picked up the metaphor, right? So the whole chorus goes, if you want to destroy my sweater, hold this thread as I walk away whoa 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 it's by the way catchy that's a good little hook so the sweater unravels lying on the floor i've come undone he picked up that idea in an english class of all places go figure you know symbolism because he went to harvard right mm-hmm yeah is that where he went he got an english degree from harvard yeah the geek rock that's the geek part not in like a bad way by the way go to school learn things be smart it's cool the professor of his class used an unraveling sweater metaphor to illustrate why a good thesis statement is important to an essay. Let that be a lesson to all you bad thesis writers. All you bad thesis writers, come up with a really good metaphor and stick it midway into your essay instead of at the beginning. (laughs) If if it's supposed to be a thesis, my thesis has got the beginning, not midway through. The song's not the thesis. um, That's where he took the metaphor for an unraveling sweater. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Pull a thread and I'm walking away. The sweater unravels. It would have made a good thesis for the album, though. Yeah, this is kind of an unraveling album. It definitely unravels from Buddy Holly. Well, yeah. Buddy Holly's like Buddy Holly's like where the like the the, the sewer put in the pulled the needle out of the sweater. It's like I'm done. I've made this sweater. Here you go. And then they immediately grab it and start unraveling it the entire rest of the album. I have to disagree. I don't think it unravels as bad as you think it does. You saying I'm wrong? You saying my opinion is wrong? I'm saying your opinion is your opinion. Fair enough. That was probably the smart answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, up next, Surf Wax America. Surf Wax America. This is very Beach Boys inspired. They talk a lot about the Beach Boys on later songs, too. You know, they even named a song after them on Pacific Daydream in 2017. Rivers Cuomo's a big Beach Boys fan. I see. Surf Wax America is just this nice carefree song about getting out of the grind and the rat race of the 9 to 5 life. They do this thing where they always start the song with an interesting instrumental run, right? I'm like, okay. And then again, it just, by the time the song's over, I'm like, what happened to the excitement I had when the song started? Like, where did it go? I don't know. It does, it does sometimes dissipate very, very unexpectedly. It's just like, I was like, uh, this song starts and it's like, got that summer, like you said, beach boy, you're on the beach, like surfer dude movie vibe to it as it starts. I'm going to say the rock lobster vibes because rock lobster in my opinion is one of the best like beach sounding songs. Why not? Yeah, sure. And then like, you know, verse one, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm liking this metaphor about, you know, getting all lubed up to go surf. Well, okay. I mean, let me, let me, let me stop you right there and let me (laughs) explain to you that surf wax when you when you're on a surfboard you're absolutely not going to lube up because you're on a piece of like carbon fiber that's like slippery and wet surf wax you put it on the board to stick to the board and it makes the it makes the oh i assumed it just made the water wash off of it so you didn't get as like all slippery i mean that helps yeah that's mostly what it is but it's to help you stay on the board it's like the opposite of lubing up but it's still lubing it up (laughs) it's just sticky anyway yeah it's a whole song about just getting away it's this big old take a break take a vacation song and they they touch on it again later on holiday i've also liked to point out that you've yet to criticize their weak rhymes i they are oh i have yet to criticize them but there are some real it'll reflect in my score i haven't said it but okay there are some real moments of buffoonery i i I just wanted i just wanted to make sure because you really hammered the weak rhymes on miley so Bringing her into 2022. She ain't staying in 2021. That's fair, as she shouldn't. But I'm I'm with you on that. Listen to some of these, right? I'm going surfing because I don't like your face. I'm bailing out because I hate the race. Unless it's a pigeon race. Uh, apparently he doesn't like those either. I don't know, yeah, like the entire verse, it's like beer and fear, fast blast, face race, maze and surfing. I mean, no. Okay. Well, no, uh, yeah, mm, take notes, Kanye. <laughs> I think Surf Wax America is a pretty fun song, just in general, you know. It started that way. It just, I don't know where it disappeared to. It started fun and the fun disappeared. Slipped away. Out. It slipped out the back door when nobody was looking. When, when did you lose it? Left the party without saying goodbye. I don't know. <laughs> I got one listen. The song started. I was like, I was like bobbing my head. I was like, yeah, let's go. And then by the end of the song, I'm like, Oh, finally, it's over. I don't know where the fun went. I lost the fun. That's interesting because it really doesn't change much until that last outro where it's all slow and falsetto. At some point, the fun was kidnapped and I'm offering a reward to get it back. Anyone who can find the fun in this song, call us. Yeah, if you can find where the fun went, I'll give you 10 spinet bucks. Redeemable somewhere. <laughs> it sounds like this song needed a little more surf wax on the board to keep you stuck to it. Gotta keep me loomed up. Yep. <laughs> 
Maybe that's what happened. I didn't. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe I lubed up instead of waxing down, and the fun slipped right off the board into the water. You slipped right away from the fun. Well, we can slip on into the next track. Say it ain't so. The probably second best song on the album. In my final top three. Absolutely. I'm also I'm also with you on that. So it sounds like it was really easy to pick our, our top two songs from this. <laughs> Say It Ain't So. Like I said, it's a big time Weezer track. This song is one of Pitchfork's top 200 tracks of the 90s and number 72 on Rolling Stone's 100 greatest guitar songs of all time, which I might take an issue with, but it's there nonetheless. So, I mean, critically acclaimed at least. And I'm not surprised that you like this one, to be honest, because in the band's early days, this song drew a lot of comparisons to a band that I know you like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Who said I like them? You did. You like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> you mentioned it in an earlier episode. I think what I said was that there, there, there was a song that I like. I knew two other songs with the same title, and one of them was by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it was my favorite. Am, am I thinking of your mom? Does your mom really like the Red Hot Chili Peppers? My mom was a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. Shout out to her. Shout out Connor's mom. Yeah, she went to a concert and everything. Oh, big fan, huh? <laughs> went to a concert. Yeah. Yeah. more than I've done. Fair. But that's absolutely what it was. There was definitely a song that was also had a, the title of the song was also the title of a song done by Red Hot Chili Peppers and somebody else. That song is Around the World from Californication and Kings of Leon's Walls. All the way back, episode zero, Kings of Leon. Occasionally, we got to take it way back. Anyway, I think there are elements of this song that sound a little bit Red Hot Chili Peppers-y, but for the most part, Weezer is... I'm also a fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, okay, well, so we went through all that for nothing. <laughs> Why? I just wanted to be problematic. <laughs> it was problematic and annoying. <laughs> Say It Ain't So is a song that's about a teenager who's seeing his family fall apart as they struggle with alcohol abuse. Apparently, Cuomo grew up around some similar problems, and it made him really, really wary of alcohol when he was young. You know, he didn't touch the stuff, at least until he was 21. And, you know, this is a song that sounds like the thing that it's about. You know, sometimes the music and the lyrics don't match up. You'll have a sad song that sounds really happy, or a happy song that sounds sad. I think Say It Ain't So just, just fits with what it's trying to say. Yeah, uh, part of that might be that heavy-handed downstroking. You said that puts his vibe on it. Well, it is. Well, there's nothing like, you know, the chorus. Bump, 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 bump. Say it ain't so. Like, the way that it falls. To me, that bump, bump almost sounds like a heartbeat, right? Because then you get into the chorus where it says your drug is a heartbreaker, right? And so if you interpret the bump, bump as, like, the heartbeat that's breaking... Yeah, I, there's just some really... It's an interesting blend of lyrics in this song. This this one and Buddy Holly were really the only two that I started and ended the song with the same feeling. Okay, yeah, yeah. All the other ones, it just kept, like, changing. It either changed or disappeared. I would agree with that, but also, for me, I mean, Holiday also stays on the same level a lot. In, in the Garage kind of stays on the same level, but that level is just really low for me all the time. Oh, <laughs> I see. Are we ready to move into that one? In the garage or as some call it in the garage in the garage yeah people kind of shorten that into its own little thing because that's how he sings it um this is a song that would have gotten counterable mention had i not been bamboozled by no one else really this song is that high up for you this has always been one that i've just kind of gotten through i really appreciate all of the nerd lyrics in it like it starts off with talking about the dungeon masters guide right and x-men talking about kitty pride and nightcrawler you know and then like the garage is like the classic like when you think back to like a 90s movie like uh a bunch of you know outcasts who 
just had to form a band in their parents' garage, you know? Like, it, it just all clicks into place from a lyrical and imagery standpoint. Yeah. The song itself is kind of whatever. It's just, I really like what I'm hearing in terms of words. That's true. I, I don't know. I just have a bad taste on my mouth right off the start with that little whiny harmonica. You don't like the harmonica? No, it always brings me in wrong. I think it's supposed to sound a bit pathetic, right? Oh, it is absolutely, and this is this is a spot where Rivers overtly talks about some of his insecurities. Right, I've got my electric guitar. I play my stupid songs. I write these stupid words, and I love every one. But yet, no one hears him sing his song in his garage because he's insecure. Because no one cares, and and in the garage he can be himself because he's away from all the judging eyes i like it i do like the sentiment of it it's obviously very personal and stuff and his favorite band actually he he shouts them out in this song is kiss and it's interesting you know he actually changed his name when he first enrolled in a public school and he called himself peter instead of rivers after kiss drummer peter chris that's a little trivia tidbit for you little rivers cuomo trivia tidbit peter cuomo yeah well he changed his last name too i don't remember i don't remember what it was he changed it to rivers Peter Rivers. <laughs> took his first name, made it his last name. <laughs> Sounds like what you do when you drink too much, you Peter Rivers. <laughs> In the Garage is all right. I think it absolutely belongs on this album. You know, it, it thematically is right in line with everything else. A song that might not thematically belong on this album is the next track, Holiday, is kind of an outlier. You said you like this one, right? I do like Holiday, yeah. I think... I mean, I like the Holidays too, but you know, we just left them. The holidays have turned and left us here. No, uh... They're left with the with the, the fun and excitement. Slipped out the back door. The holidays lubed themselves up and sl- slipped on away. <laughs> anyway, uh... I like... I do like Holiday. I like it from a musical standpoint. I don't think it's necessarily the catchiest, but I think it's one of their most musically complex songs. And I can appreciate it for that. It's a happy song. It's about getting away. Again, kind of like Surf Wax America was, but in a way less of a middle finger to to everyone who's not getting away since surf wax america is a big screw you to everyone who's still working you take your car to work i'll take my board this song is way more of a hey we're getting out of here and it's it's just a holiday a party for us yeah it's surprisingly optimistic yeah and actually that's because holiday they wrote it right after they got their first record deal oh yeah so in that kind of moment of excitement and hope and positive outlook that's when they wrote holiday apparently they shouldn't do that Oh, no, I mean, they should. It has the least amount of plays on Spotify. Well, that feels wrong. Pat Wilson says that's probably his favorite song on the record. Huh. Yeah, he talks about how it's another very Beach Boysy song, but also with finger-snapping doo-wop stuff, quote-unquote. He said, what a bunch of effing weirdos we are to have all that in one song. And he says that he thinks modern music has kind of forgotten how to do that. I'd agree. Modern music is way more, I feel, I, I guess it depends on your genre. I would say a lot of genres, they pick a theme and they stick with it all the way through and they do everything they can with that one theme yeah whereas you get less like you're not gonna see a lot of songs that pull like a billy joel italian nights right where they just mash a bunch of stuff together or like this where they've taken a bunch of unique things and put them together that doesn't happen as often as often no that's because well it's a lot harder to consume right i mean as you as you understand only listening to these things once yeah it's it's got a little bit more of a barrier to entry than your typical top 40 pop song yeah it's a catch-22 because you want your songs to be popular but you also want your songs to stand out and be able to stand the test of time and it's like you can't have both almost right it's either it's easy to listen to right away and everybody can 
just pick it up and go, but then it's kind of lost in the pool of other sounding songs that are similar. Or you get something that stands out and it's a slow burn, but over the course of time, people start to appreciate it more for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like the long game versus the short game. Yep. It's hard to find a song that can pull off both. Yeah, and I don't think Holiday pulls off both. That brings us to our final track. Yeah, it does. The final track is Only in Dreams. And to be honest, Only in Dreams is all right. If the album wasn't so short, I would rather it end with Holiday. Day, to be honest the big old heartbeat at the end feels like a very good album closing moment and then they kind of pull us back in with only in dreams but it's just like this last little wave I, I feel like the album hits its last peak on holiday and only in dreams just kind of you know shoves us out the door it's a little unpleasant yeah only in dreams is kind of like an anti-ballad right because you get the girl only in your dreams you know you can't resist her but you can't have her not all ballads are happy well no you're right <laughs> It doesn't make it an anti... Like, an anti-ballad is just like a rap song. That's, well... It's super fast and jarring instead of melodic and slow. Take notes, Connie. Right. Only in dreams we see what it means, reach out our hands, hold on to hers, but when we awake, it's all been erased. And so it seems only in dreams. See, like, that... It's nothing that strikes me particularly strong. What is that saying? Well, that's just saying you can't have it. You know, you you want it really badly. You dream about it, but... It's a clunky way to say, unless you're dreaming, she's not there, I guess. Like, listen listen to this snippet from verse two. It's a moment where the image is clever, but the execution is just, you know, something only Weezer could get away with. You say it's a good thing that you float in the air. That way, there's no way I will crush your pretty toenails into a thousand pieces. Because he's talking about dancing with this girl, and he's saying, it's a good thing that you're a dream and not a real person, so I can't step on your toes while we dance but i mean what is that line <laughs> i guess what he's yeah what he's going for is he's saying that it, like in his dream it's a perfect moment right where they're able to dance perfectly and have the moment the way he wants it but he knows yeah exactly and that's sweet if he ever got that chance in real life it would go poorly but we just just mangle it with crushing your toenails into a thousand pieces like and i guess that's kind of can we also talk about how hard you'd have to step on somebody's foot to crush a toenail into a thousand pieces well think of how hard you'd have to step on a foot to crush a toenail into two pieces (laughs) it'd be pretty tough i guess that's a way of exemplifying for us how this can never be a reality maybe his dream turned into a nightmare and he crushed her toenail into a thousand pieces A toenail crushing nightmare. Toenail crushing nightmare? Yeah, the worst kind. (laughs) And this song ends with another really big build up and a guitar solo that it's all right, but that's all it is for me. It's all right, you know? But that's how the album ends on this really whelming song. So does that pull us on the final spin? That does pull us into final spin. Yeah, the final has spun and left us here. I don't know. I keep trying to make jokes based on that song title and they're not landing. No. I already know. The, the audience isn't even going to listen to this yet and I already know those jokes didn't land and I'm sorry. Now you know how I feel anytime I make a joke. Now, 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 now. You're talking like rivers. So we've already covered favorite songs, right? I mean, we're taking Buddy Holly as the undisputed best track on this record. Second best is going to be Say It Ain't So. Your third top three was the opener. My name is Jonas, and your honorable mention was no one else. Yeah, I mean, if you're just going to steal my whole final spin moment, all right. Yeah, I wanted to. You said earlier that you don't remember when I talk about things for a long time, and I just wanted to show you that I've been paying attention. <laughs> oh, you want to show me up? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it goes Buddy Holly, Satan, so my name is Jonas, no one else. That's the thing. Yeah, let's get into scores. Starting with music. I like a lot of the musical sections of this album. I think they're very interestingly chopped up and put together. A lot of these songs kind of feel 
disjointed. You know, they're not all super smoothly connected. And that's cool. I think that keeps it musically interesting. But I think sometimes it works more effectively than others. I don't know. The fact that they limit themselves to downstrokes and making the guitar and a bass a 10-stringed instrument, I think sometimes that helps them musically and sometimes it kind of hinders them musically. A lot of these songs are catchy melodically, right? Some of these Buddy Hollies and No One Else's you can sing along to anytime. And then some of them you're just going to lose, like Only in Dreams. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes the music is a mixed bag. I'm giving it a 78, all things considered. As for lyrics, I know we kind of skimmed over a lot of the lyrics on some of these earlier songs, but they really do have some, some weaker rhymes, some kind of bizarre images and stuff. And I know that's a little bit of a Weezer trademark, but if we're putting this in the context of every album ever, it doesn't all hold up. Some of the songs are exceptionally strong, like we talked about all the alcoholism imagery and, and metaphors on Say It Ain't So. Some of the other things that we've mentioned have been really great moments. You know, Buddy Holly is a cool song, and I think a lot of the lyrics are strong, but I think more often than not, the lyrics mostly fall pretty flat. Because they inexplicably, like you talked about, they inexplicably pull you out of the song for some reason. You just, you kind of get lost in them a little bit. So I'm giving lyrics a 74. Alright, 74. Instruments in production, again, just super limited by the heavy-handedness of their own record. <laughs> like, they kind of did it to themselves. I feel like sometimes they're a little hamstring hamstrung hamstring yeah weezer's a little hamstring sometimes by what they've chosen to do to themselves but it's pretty well produced i mean give it up for rick okasic he's done a good job producing the album i'm giving it a 78 this is an album that i think is greater than the sum of its parts right you put all these songs in a collection together i think it's a much better experience than trying to listen to it piecemealed out song by song in most cases save for say it ain't so and buddy holly i think generally you're better off to listen to the whole record all the way through i think the vibe is, like you mentioned, it's pretty solidly mid-90s. It encapsulates that and expresses it pretty well. So I'm giving the vibe an 84. Oh. Which is going to bring its total score, drum roll please. <gasps> I don't know what that was. You just... Well, I've done different drums every time you've asked for a drum roll, and so I was trying to come up with a new drum, and I panicked. Your new drum was to inhale? <laughs> okay. Anyway, 79 is the final score for Weezer the Blue album. 79? Where's that put it? That probably puts it pretty low. Um, it's decently low. I think it's somewhere in the 370s. And again, not an indication of how much I enjoy it. But it is. It's more of a reflection of what I've listened to. No, well, no, but kinda. I like this album. You like all music. I do. You're right. Me saying that I like an album does mean almost nothing. I don't know if I've ever heard you say you don't like an album. I like a lot of things. Other than Miley. No, I didn't even say that. I think I actively said many times that I like it. Ah. Anyway, 79 from me. What do you think about this one? Well, you already gave my top three and terrible mention. So I don't got anything to say that isn't already been said. Sure. So on your first exposure to Weezer, the first time you've ever really listened to them, I, it sounds like it wasn't too flattering. Mm, no, unfortunately. And I'm a rock guy. I like a lot of rock music, especially 80s, 90s rock. This is where this comes from. It's it's a weird like proto-punk. It's it's post-Nirvana punk. It's very, it's very interesting. For me, this one gets five remarkably unremarkable toenail-crushing nightmares out of 10. <laughs> what a unit. Remarkably unremarkable toenail-crushing nightmares. Okay. Okay, so a five is middle of the road. I mean, not... I mean, yes, but it's also the lowest I've ever given, right, is a five. I got Pixie Queen, Cannon, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, all at fives. 
I have no fours or less. What's interesting to me is that all your fives are so vastly different in style. This is nothing like any of those records at all. At all. It's, it's very interesting. Um, I honestly consider giving it a four. Wow, the lowest. I think it is better than both My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and Ken. It's not better than Pixie Queen. I prefer Pixie Queen. Mm. Having not listened to Ken or My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in a bit... I think even if I didn't care for the music as much, they were they were better put together. Right, that's where it's gonna land. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna land middle of the pack of the fives. Okay. That's you know, some of your five rankings I've disagreed with. That's that's one I think is pretty fair. That like it's a five, it's towards the bottom, but in the six categories where I have permanent vacation, me and my gang, you know, coloring book, head in the heart. All, you know, my six range, I think when you look at where I've put it compared to where I've put other things, makes sense. For those of you who are like, oh, it deserves at least a seven. Seven is where I have Dark Side of the Moon, and this is nowhere near that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely skewed. Your ranking system is something, but I'm okay with the five. No, I, I'm actually really happy with my s- scores in general. There's not like a skew, in my opinion, to any one genre. No, that's true. The closest you could say is pop. So it's like, there's a lot of pop in my scores of nine, but they're all different pops. Different enough. They're different enough. Yeah. And I'm not even really that big of a pop guy. It's just we've done a lot of pop. Well, you know, there is a lot of pop out there to do. Yeah. But I think that's going to put a cap on this episode. Zip it, lock it, uh, polka dot it, put it in your pocket, Weezer it. Are you are you doing Miley Cyrus right now? I guess. I'm just trying to prove to you that I'm more of a fan than you think I am. <laughs> yeah, you went to the Hannah Montana movie, of which I'm the Bennett Hannah Montana movie fan club president. I'm just trying to prove to you I'm not a Miley Cyrus hater. Anyway, thanks for tuning in for a New Year Spin It. 2022 is going to bring a lot of exciting albums your way and our way. And a lot of twos. A lot of twos, apparently. No, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully we, I don't get a lot of twos on the list this year. If you're looking for more Spin It content in the new year, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Spin It Pod. On Instagram, we're at Spin It Pod Official. On everywhere else, we're www.spinitpod.com. If you had to pick one episode that we've done from 2021 to recommend to people to go listen to, which episode? Oh, that's a hard call. I've always liked the Nirvana episode. Although the Hank Williams episode seems to be our most popular, unquestionably. Yeah, people really like the Hank Williams Greatest Hits, at least on YouTube. Yeah, really. A, a lot. I personally think I would recommend the Thriller B-Side. I was thinking the same thing. There's a lot of information there that's really interesting. There's a, It was a really interesting and just fun episode to do, so I think that'd be my recommendation. You can find that one on the website, audience. Or if you really like bread, Kin is quite a pick. <laughs> that is when we learned the mixtaper liked uh, pumpernickel bread, right? Anyway, this is 2022. It's a new year. We've got a whole new 52 episodes coming this year, I think. I don't know how the weeks line up. This is the first year ever that we've started with a podcast you know we started a podcast last year but this is the first year we're coming out swinging all waxed up and we're sticking to sticking to it (laughs) spin it 2022 (laughs) anyway uh, i hope you like this album hope you like this episode stick around next week for another fantastic album review what are we doing next what are we doing next it's a great question i know you're curious i'm always curious we're going country again next. Ooh, Hannah Montana movie? No, not Hannah Montana movie. We're going newer than that. Oh. A little newer, 2021 country. Oh. Stick around. Find out. And until then, keep spinning. You know how you keep spinning. You stand waxed up so you stick to whatever you're spinning on. Okay, no, it's a stretch. <laughs> you're, you're taking it too far, it's a stretch. <laughs>